Good evening, night fans. Welcome to a, uh, well, this is not an emergency edition of the... Yeah, you got to stop using that attack. term. Yes. We, you got to stop using that term. We got to come up would, with something better than well, emergency. Well, well, NASA, okay, so I think this is like one step below an emergency. NASA calls this a, NASA calls it a contingency. So let's call it a contingency podcast. Uh, this is the Black and Gold Panorette podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon. He's Eric Lopez. Uh, what a week. What a Wednesday we have lined up for uh, UCF. We're going to talk about men's basketball with uh, the victory on the road in hostile territory uh, at Illinois State, coming back from down big in the first half. Uh, the Knights with two free throws by B.J. Taylor knock off the one seed in their bracket in the NIT, and the Knights have one last home game in the quarterfinals against Illinois coming up on Wednesday night. And then we're also going to preview softball with a big game of their own against Florida State. Uh, at the UCF Softball Complex. That game's at 5.30 on uh, Wednesday. Number one team in the nation, Florida State, paying a visit to the Knights uh, 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 tomorrow night. So uh, so the big UCF sports doubleheader, softball at 5.30, basketball at 7. Uh, make sure you log on to blackandgoldbanneret.com for the latest on our podcast. Uh, make sure you also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Uh, as well as subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and tune in. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And let's just dive right in here. Wow, Eric, how about this night's basketball team? Uh, after the win over Colorado, you go up to Illinois State. You're playing the one seed in your bracket, the one four. And I thought that this game, I, I'm. And I'm, I know I'm not the only one. Uh, Illinois State jumped out on top early, had the home crowd going. It was a really hostile environment. Give them credit. At Redbird Arena, Doug Collins Court. Boy, they brought the pain in that game uh, in the early going. The Redbirds jumped out early to, I believe it was a, was a 17-3 lead at one point. Well, they led by 18-2 at one point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, was a, yeah, it was a tough start. Yeah, it was it was a very very difficult start for UCF. It was yeah, it was seven it was uh 17-3 after the first 6 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh and but UCF just kind of chipped away from that point. And uh uh let's see. The largest lead they had, you're right Eric, it was uh, 18, I believe it was yeah, right there with 402 to go in the first half. It was 33-15. And this was after UCF had already cut it down. They got within five, and then Illinois State went on a run. Um, it was a six it was a sixteen to um, sixteen to three run to take that eighteen point lead. And at that point, I think a lot of people are like, "Oh boy, this is this this might get bad." But something clicked, I think, in that last four minutes. Where all of a sudden the Knights started making some baskets, and Matt Williams got hot, and AJ Davis started making shots. Um, they cut it down to within ten with uh, after a three by Matt with uh, fifty one seconds to go before the half, and then Illinois State hit a three. Tony Wills hit one. Then they were up thirteen at the break. But I I thought at that point I was like, you know something, we might be down, but we're not. It didn't feel like we were out of this game. And then all of a sudden, the second half happens. And the Knights just chip away and chip away and chip away. And down 10 with 10.56 to go. Then they really start cutting into the lead. B.J. Taylor with a couple free throws got it to within five. B.J. with a three before that. Uh, B.J. with another jumper after that. That cut it to three. Taco Fall had a big dunk with about eight and a half to go. And all of a sudden, the Knights are within one. And you're thinking, man, this thing, this thing is going to get tight. Um, Illinois State then jumped out again, led by five with five minutes to go, and then the final sequence happened. Uh, it was it, no, neither teams. UCF took a 61-60 lead on uh, a free throw by AJ Davis with 140 to go. They actually tied the game on a jumper by Davis, uh, and uh, and it was a three point play. So AJ uh, makes the free throw to put UCF up 61. To sixty, and that was the night's first lead, of, basically of the game. Um, 
you had mentioned on Twitter some suspect officiating. I thought that the foul call on B.J. Taylor with four seconds left was a good call on the reach-in. Um, but uh, Mikhail McIntosh makes, uh, makes a couple free throws. Or, excuse me. No, uh, Yeah, that's right. He makes uh, two free throws. And UCF has the ball down one with four seconds to go. And the big play, B.J. Taylor goes the length of the floor, or they, uh, it, you know, right in front of the Illinois State bench, and gets fouled. And makes two of what I said earlier today on Twitter with probably the most pressure-packed clutch free throws in UCF basketball history to this point. And uh, gave UCF a 63-62 lead with one second to go. And then that was it. Illinois State you know, got off a shot. It was you know, from deep. It was a desperation heave. And that's it. UCF at one point down 18 on the road in the NIT is going to the quarterfinals. And the Knights are playing Illinois on Wednesday night. Just, I, 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 there was a part of me that was surprised at how it came out. And then there was a part of me that what really wasn't surprised to see this team sort of peaking at this point. What did you think when you were watching this game? Yeah, I mean, you know, Illinois State hadn't lost in a while there. And there was a lot of emotion in that building because it had already been known prior to tip-off that Illinois would not be able to host the next round, even if they, you know, if they would have beaten Boise State, even though they're the higher C because their arena is not available. So for Illinois State, that's a big deal because they, yeah. they don't get a chance to play Illinois. And I mean, think about that. They're the they're I mean, the they're the little brother up there. Well, yeah, I mean, of Chicago. It, right. I mean, it'd be kind of I mean, imagine if UCF was in a tournament with Florida, let's say, mm-hmm. and or Florida State, and you find out, hey. They can't host a game, so they got to they got to come to your building if you win this game. Well, that amps it up a little bit. So I, you know, the, the environment was set up that way, and I thought the officiating was intimidated by them. I, I thought at times they let the fans kind of dictate things. You know, the, you mentioned the suspect of the calls. I thought they were horrific. Uh, that the, the the jump ball was ridiculous. It was a premature thing. It was a home cooking call, and uh, I, I thought it was terrible. And, but then and I you get the call on the final play of the game. Well, and that was fortunate, but I, you know, I thought it was a makeup there, and I think the officials at that point like figured to just, well, we now we feel bad. Now we're gonna oh boy, do another that's, call. That's a call. that's a hell of a time for a makeup call with one point four seconds and, to and, go, and, though. And, 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 that, and that was tough. I, I didn't like. I didn't like it. I don't like. I'm a proponent of swallow the whistle. I'm not a fan of the of the officials. You know, some people say, well, if it's a foul in the first quarter, it's a foul in the end of the game, and all that. My thing is, I don't. That's the reason why I want them to swallow the whistle because at that, they, they sometimes what happens is officiating at the end of games gets too out of control. Oh, they make one bad call, then they got to feel like they got to make up another call, and then they, you know, there's three calls there. And the BJ Taylor, I actually do agree he reached in, but I I feel like they were waiting to make that call. Like I even if BJ doesn't reach, I feel like a whistle is going to be called. And then yeah, the BJ Taylor call. Uh, you know, I didn't think that was a good call either. To be honest, I didn't think he really. I, thought he, you know, I was, I was when they blew the whistle. I'll be honest with you, I was shocked because yeah. he looked to me like he was out of control heading toward the sideline. Yeah. Correct. So, but again, I feel like they were pressured in because, and 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 really, this goes back to if you remember early, a few minutes before that, where they had issues at the scoreboard, and and Johnny Coach Dawkins was upset and rightfully so because. Remember the the moment where they they announced they couldn't they they would announce the score because the scoreboard wasn't working right on the UCF side of the scoreboard and the television showed that it will only work for Illinois State which is a big problem because how else is a player supposed to know the situation and I remember I think Coach Dawkins was telling well why don't you just turn off that scoreboard because players are going to get confused and they didn't turn it off plus it uh, plus so, it's you know in that situation oh they're going to announce the score over the PA system. I got news for you. Ain't no player going to hear that. It's loud as hell in that building. Correct. It's a fantastic point. So I, I thought it was terrible. I don't understand why didn't they just stop the game and see if they could at least turn it off if they couldn't fix the issue. We've seen that at UCF home games where there have been maybe an issue. They would take a minute or two, a few minutes to kind of stop it because that's very important. And so also I, I and it- also what they would do is at the scorer's table, and they, the, and they should have this. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it actually at the scores table readily available, but I've seen this situation before and we played in the old arena that when the scoreboard would screw up 
and they couldn't get and they couldn't fix it. They would take out this old thing. It looks like it looks like they had it on the set of Hoosiers, the sort of like flip card scoreboard, right? And yeah. you have that like a manually operated flip card scoreboard that the official score flips over just in case that happens. Right. So and, and I don't know if they didn't have it or, you know, I mean, obviously they don't want to have to go to that. But um, but th- that's at least more effective than announcing the score over the PA for crying out loud. And this is co- and this is coming from a guy who 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 who, uh, who does PA. Yeah, I, I just thought it was terrible. And uh, thankfully, we didn't have a, a controversial ending from the standpoint of the scoreboard being involved. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure know, it was controversial for Illinois State anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that, that was a foul call. It had no impact as far as the, the the scoreboard situation. I just couldn't believe they allowed that, that they would play on with the scoreboard showing the incorrect score in, in situation. I mean, that that's – as somebody who's talked to a lot of players, I mean, that's a big difference. So – uh, fortunately for UCF, they got out of there with the victory, and uh, it's a significant win. I mean, it's a big win for them because now they get an opportunity to host a Big Ten school uh, in an NIT game with uh, the winner going to Madison Square Garden for the final four of the NIT. So uh, very significant, very significant run uh, for this program, for Coach Dawkins, for UCF. And, um, you know, I thought that, yes, UCF again showed really the, the poise down the stretch, Matt Williams kept the minute. B.J. Taylor made plays. Taco had a big second half defensively, uh, and this team hung in there tough. And uh, it's a it's a it's a great uh, example of the whole year. And uh, they've earned this home home game against Illinois, uh, and it'll be fascinating too because it's a quick turnaround. Uh, now UCF got in late Monday morning, but Illinois had to fly to Orlando, so. Very interesting to see how both teams come out on Wednesday night with the quick turnaround with a lot on the line. But uh man, what a what a great win. And, and 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 I think we spoke about it, you know, in the past, and, and I've spoken about it actually on the radio this past weekend on the uh, 1080, and that is the exposure that this program got, Jeff, by being on ESPN. I'm sure yeah. you were on social media. How many people were tweeting about the UCF game that, that maybe hadn't tweeted about UCF in a long time, or maybe people that have watched the UCF basketball game haven't watched it in a while. Um, well, significant. I, I think I think there were a couple of a couple of things about the environment surrounding the game that um, that bear mentioning. Number one, we got to stand up and give some major kudos to the UCF alumni in the Chicago area who made the trip um, to Illinois State. Um, to cheer on the Knights. You know, there's a, there's a really, there's a solid amount of UCF alums in Chicago. And they never get to see their team play. And to see, and to see them come to the game, I thought was, was uh, really helpful. A quick shout out to uh, shy UCF gal. I didn't see if she was actually at the game. And I'm sorry I didn't see that. But if she was, I mean, I mean goodness, what, a, what an experience that must have been. Number two, yes, the exposure on ESPN was critical because they were on across from the UConn basket, the UConn women's game. Okay, now this is this is I think key because ESPN's Monday night schedule had uh, the, the, there was uh, actually it was UConn women are playing Syracuse, and they went up by thirty or forty, and then that game was pretty much over, right? So. The UCF game on ESPN, the men's game, is close. So I'd be interested to see. I don't know if you can get a hold of the ratings numbers. I'd be interested to see what happened with that UCF game in terms of people tuning in over. Okay, so oh, let's check on UConn. Oh, this game's over. All right. Well, what's on ESPN? Oh, this game's close. Oh, they have the seven six kid. Oh, all right. Let's let's watch this for a little bit. And uh, I think that that may have played into a big factor. And uh, there is some news to report uh, leading into the game uh, t- uh, on Wednesday night. We're recording this Tuesday night. Um, UCF is pushing really hard to sell out this game. And I think that they've had a very good head start on this, um, due in part at least to that exposure. Uh, UCF being, you know, having a quarterfinal game at home. This is the late, by the way, this is the latest in the postseason UCF has had a home game. And it will probably be the latest UCF will ever have a home game 
in the postseason. Uh, I know they got to the CBI semis uh, a few years back. Uh, and theoretically, you know, if UCF ever does go back to the CBI, I know that's not ideal if you talk to, you know, some of the some of the folks that we know, right? Because you got to pay to get into that tournament. Um, you know, you could theoretically host one or two of the final games in the CBI, depending on home court, because remember they do that best of three for the championship of the CBI. But I, I think at this point UCF is is in a, is in a position where look, we're going to go to the NIT and. You win this game against Illinois, Big Ten opponent, um, you're going to the Garden. And that's a huge, huge incentive. I mean, obviously incentive, but I mean, but, but, but wow. All of a sudden, look at what's riding on this game at home. And I think the fans are responding to that. And it should be, it should be quite the environment uh, on Wednesday night for this ballgame, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people like to jump on the bandwagon. People are excited about it and then the way the team is performing. Yeah, again, the bandwagon's I mean, here now. <laughs> well, I, and I look a big – I take a look at the bigger picture. I know people are, are, are focused in the immediate and, oh, we need to draw for tomorrow over Wednesday night and the crowd. I'm not as actually too concerned about what they draw on Wednesday night like others are. I mean, I, I'm more in the big picture, and I think the big picture here is regardless of what happens Wednesday night or beyond, and what the, whatever crowd they draw, now people are going to be excited about this program. I think they, they haven't been in a long time going into the season coming up here in November. And I think you're going to have some buzz going into the, the start of the season that they haven't had in a while. I think you're going to see a lot of college basketball experts, for example, and, and people kind of pick UCF as a sleeper for an NCAA tournament team next year. So there's going to be buzz based on the core players that come back for UCF. Um, so there's going to be that buzz. And I think fans that maybe had turned their back on the program, I think will return to some degree. And I, I think it's about next season. I think that's what I want to know is what they draw next season. And can they get back to consistently drawing, you know, maybe in the 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 range, maybe even depending on what the schedule is. We don't know what the home schedule will look like it, but you know, that's kind of what I look at is the big picture, not the short term. I think people always get caught up in the short term. Yeah. But I think this is bigger than Wednesday night. I think it's more about creating that buzz and excitement and interest going into next season. And I'll use the example of that. Um, and I know it's going to come off as unbiased, but with softball, uh, and you've seen it, uh, the crowds have grown, say, from, oh, I would say four or five years ago, maybe 2012, 2013. To, nat to the present. And part of that was because of the buzz that the 2014 and especially the 2015 team that went 50 and nine and ranked 16th in the country and, and, and ranked for the first time and won the conference tournament championship at home, which you were at. And I was at mm -hmm. that create, you know, the, during that, that's when the buzz started happening with softball. Now they're drawing pretty good numbers for like, for example, a random went Friday game that they normally would not have drawn in the past. So that's what I'm looking for to see from the men's basketball program moving forward is to draw that interest next season instead of talking about wow, they're only they're drawing 35, 4,000, maybe we're talking about drawing 6 and 7. Right. I, I think that's the thing is like what, what I, you know, where does the honeymoon period end? I don't think it's going to I, I do think that this is going to have some legs next year because you see how quickly this team has progressed and you know and they really are peaking at the right time and i think that part of the, and what i'm really happy to see and i was thinking about this yesterday watching the game you know matt williams right now is playing is is how is playing out of his mind he is peaking as a basketball player right before our eyes right now and it's a shame that it's happening in the final games of his senior season but if it's if there was ever a good time to do it, it's now. He sparked the rally against Illinois State, and and when you see a team that's clicking on all cylinders like they are, we've seen, I think B.J. Taylor has grown up a lot also in these last couple games. I, I do think that this is, is having staying power because we're starting to see the casual fans sit, sit up and take notice once again of UCF basketball, and and so to me. That's pretty encouraging. I still want to see, you know, if the rubber meets the road tomorrow night at the arena. I have no reason to suspect that it won't. 
But um, this should be uh, a very interesting test, not not just of UCF basketball, but of the fan base. And now, uh, hey, let's hit the breaking news hit here, because Lopez, you just got some some of those TV numbers. Go, what do you got? Well, well, you asked, right? You asked me what the number was for UCF Illinois State on ESPN, and I just checked according to TV by the numbers, UCF and Illinois State drew one point seven million wow. viewers. For that basketball game, that is a big number. One point seven Monday. million nationwide. <laughs> yep, yep. Keep in mind that is a big number when you consider it's a you know the, the competition. It's an NIT game. Uh, it, it that is significant number. Uh, remember, it's going up against uh, the not only uh, the Monday the NBA basketball. You mentioned the women's tournament, but the NBA basketball game, Warriors Thunder, which is a very appealing matchup uh, to a lot of people. I think was actually the number one uh, sporting event that was tuned in at 2.2 million on TNT. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have a, a television program Monday night raw. WWE is a big television night as well on Monday night for uh, cable television. Uh, so to do that number very well, uh, I, I is a success. I think it's a major success. And uh, again, how think of how many eyeballs that's pe- uh, people watching your product. Uh, for the first time, you know, maybe for, yeah. for some people, uh, that to me is very significant and it blew away by the way, women's basketball. In fact, women's basketball does not even, uh, reach the top, does not even make the top 100 as far as the cable television shows for the day and night. So, I'm surprised uh, even with UConn playing that it wasn't, no, that, I mean, that wasn't I mean, what we can get in. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll leave that for when we talk softball, because I, I just think that women's basketball as a whole is in decline in the, in the United States. But uh, so, yeah, here, here's, again, the top television programs of the night. Obviously, WWE Raw was averages around 3 million viewers uh, for their three-hour program on USA Network. Uh, but out uh, as far as other than that, in that time slot, you have uh, the NBA game and then that UCF game was third. Wow. So, uh, wow, very is strong. that something? And remember, UCF against Illinois game will be on ESPN two. So mm-hmm. Wednesday night, uh, it'll be interesting how they draw there, but that's a, that's a positive sign. And again, it shows about the amount of exposure that playing in these tournaments, uh, can mean. And, and when you're, especially when you're a tournament that's, you know, being aired on that four letter network. Wow. So it, that's, that's the off the court news. Now let's talk about the on the court situation where we got Illinois coming in, uh, mentioned a big 10 opponent and, uh, Boy, the the halcyon days of Darren Williams and D. Brown and Bruce Weber's fighting Illini teams um, seem like a long, long time ago. Now, uh, Illinois finished the regular season uh, at eighteen and fourteen, eight and ten in the Big Ten. Missed the NCAA tournament for the fourth straight year. Ten days ago, on March eleventh, they fired um, their head cro- their head coach John Gross. Um, and 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 hired uh, and they actually just three days ago hired Brad Underwood, uh, the head coach of Stephen F. Austin, um, or previously a head coach of Stephen F. Austin. One year at Oklahoma State, they just hired Underwood to be their new head coach, uh, but uh, he's not their coach actually at the moment. They got an interim guy actually in there right now, but um, the Illini are in a state of flux right now. And, man, is this just a strange situation or what? Uh, that, that they now have to go on the road. They're the higher-seeded team. They have to go on the road. UCF is <laughs> flying back home to play this game. Um, Illinois right now, they just got to 20 wins with that, with, by defeating uh, Boise State, actually, in that previous game. Uh, but... Boy, that that is a tough situation, you know, for the players for Illinois, where just all kinds of stuff is happening all around them. Meanwhile, they got a game to play. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I've been surprised that a they participated in the NIT to begin with, uh, because you know usually teams that fire their coaches they'll want to participate in the postseason. They kind of want to just you know move cut, on, but cut, they they, they, move, they went ahead. right. Right, and then the second thing, okay, they participated. You figured the players would just kind of go through the motions, but they haven't to their credit. Uh, you know, Illinois is a talented team. With about a week or two left in the regular season, they were kind of starting – they were in that bubble 
for the NCAA tournament. They were in the conversation, and then they had that devastating loss on the weekend, and I want to say it was like a week before the the conference tournament or so. might have been the last game of the season, actually. Uh, they lost to Rutgers on the road, and that kind of killed their chance from an at-large standpoint, and then they got knocked out early in the Big Ten tournament and probably ousted them uh, from that standpoint. And, and look, I mean, they're looking for that the glory days, as you mentioned. I mean, let's not forget, Bill Self was there at Illinois. Uh, led him to an Elite Eight before he left for Kansas. Uh, Bruce Weber, uh, of course, the national championship game in 2005 with mm-hmm. Illinois, as you mentioned, when they lost to North Carolina. They, you know, that's what they're that's looking for. a team that for. lost two games all year. Yeah, yeah, great team, and uh, they're you know they're searching for that, and that's why they got at, they went after Underwood, who's a very good coach, coach that Stephen F. Austin led him to the NCAA tournament. Who's an and assistant then, course, under Frank made- Martin too, when Martin was at Kansas State. Yeah, Martin yeah, now yeah. in South so, Carolina. They just knocked off Duke. Correct. So that's kind of what's going on with them. But yeah, they, they've played well. They've played very well in the NIT, and they're, they're a talented team. Uh, no question about it. And UCF will have their hands full. I mean, this is not uh, going to be a cakewalk at all. Obviously, it, this is. It, it's. I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, this is kind of. A, I mean, who would have thought you get Illinois on your court? Uh, but this is a. A, a team that, you know, having said all the issues they had, that, like I said, they were a week away from being in the conversation. They were in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. When they beat Michigan State, a lot of be- some people thought they were in. Uh, yeah. But then they kind of blew it, losing to Rutgers. But, you know, this is a talented basketball team uh, in the Big Ten uh, and, and, and clearly motivated. Clearly they're motivated for their interim coach, and uh, they're trying to get to you – know, they're trying to play for themselves, really. I mean, they're playing for themselves. And now it's a dangerous spot to be, right? Right. And here's the other thing. Now they know who their next head coach is, Coach Underwood. So now, you know, those players that are coming back on the are they're playing. They're, they want to prove that, you know, to their new head coach that they, you know, they can play, that they belong. So um very interesting to see. Uh looking forward to seeing Illinois in person and kind of see because they're very fast, uh, they're athletic. And uh, I'm very curious to see how UCF handles that uh, kind of a talent there. Because, I mean, certainly I would say that Illinois is probably, you know, and I I don't count Villanova because that was in November. But, you know, since conference play started, Illinois, I would argue, is probably uh, the third, maybe the second or third best talent, that third best talented team that UCF has faced behind, obviously, SMU and Cincinnati. Uh, for sure. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting challenge, uh, I think, for Coach Dawkins and UCF after such an emotional win on the road, digging deep to kind of of an, out of a hole. You know, how much will they have left going into you know at home with a short bench against an Illinois team that blew out a pretty good Boise State team at yeah. home? Jamal Walker, by the way, is the interim head coach of Illinois right now. Their uh, top scorer is Malcolm Hill who's averaging 17 points a game. Um, ESPN, and he's a senior guard from Fairview Heights, Illinois, 6'6 kid. Uh, ESPN uh, tended to highlight Maverick Morgan, who's the only guy, uh, the only other guy who averages double figures for uh, Illinois. 6'10 kid from Springboro, Ohio. He's pretty big. Uh, and he averaged uh, just over 10 points a game. This year, uh, his senior season. This is the first year he's averaged over um, double figures. Illinois, when you look at how they did in the Big Ten Conference, they're a pretty good rebounding team. They're actually fifth in the Big Ten in uh, rebounding defense. Every other category, they were kind of middling. They were like eighth, ninth, somewhere around there. But rebounding, they were actually fairly good. They were dead last in block shots. So, which you know, which to me is kind of surprising with a six ten kid. But um, not a very good shot-blocking team, pretty good rebounding team, which actually echoes UCF in a way because we know how good UCF has been on the boards this year. Um, But even with Taco Fall, UCF's block shot numbers were fairly low. We talked about this with Taylor Young uh, several weeks back. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like the secret's out, right? You know, you got the seven six guy, so we're not going to take it into the lane because that's that's that would be stupid. So that's why you don't get see that many block shots. They were third in the from last in the Big Ten in assists 
as a team. So that tells me that they're having trouble on the point guard spot. Um, and then kind of, like I said, kind of middling in everything else, like, you know, eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th around there. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that Illinois is a team that can be, that can be had on the road, um, if things go the right way, but you know, this is not going to be a cakewalk, especially, you know, now you're going to start to feel a little pressure at home. I think with the big crowd, um, chance to go to the garden on the line, um, you know, Johnny Dawkins has been here, by the way, you know, twice. They won the NIT. At, he won the NIT with Stanford. But um, this will be a very interesting matchup. I'm extremely excited to see how this is going to um, how this is going to shape up. I want to see who's going to match up with Malcolm Hill, if it's Matt Williams uh, or if it's A.J. Davis. Uh, and then I want to see how Taco Fall matches up with uh, Maverick Morgan down low. So. Uh, what do you think? It's I, I'm I'm going to search for the line here, but what do you think about this matchup? At least as of right now, you think this favors UCF? Doesn't favor UCF? What are you expecting? I think it's a toss-up game. I mean, Illinois twenty and fourteen on the season, fourteen and five at home, three and six on the road. True road games. Now yeah. they were three and three in neutral. I mean, that's not shocking, but uh, you know that's the good news is i feel like for example like and the reason why i think that i, I mentioned that, if this game was at illinois i would make illinois a heavy favorite um right now the line it, it, i'm getting this from something called sports chat palace don't ask <laughs> uh it's uh i've got uh ucf favored by two and a half yeah i mean that's that's fair i mean keep in mind obviously uh usually a home team is favored by three so basically uh, they're respecting their uh, ucf no question about it uh, that that is fascinating that they would do that. Um, you know, a, a little bit about Illinois. A couple kind of. I want to give you a couple of results here that kind of maybe jumps out to you. Okay. You know, you know, Illinois played West Virginia this year. Got blown out by thirty-two up in Brooklyn in that tournament they played. Uh, they lost to Florida State in that tournament, seventy-two sixty-one. Uh, you know that those are a couple of the top teams they played out of conference. Uh, they, you know, they beat their rivals, Missouri. Missouri's not very good this year. They just got, they got blown out on the road by Maryland, who's an NCAA tournament team. Uh, you know, they, they lost at Indiana by 16. Again, these are road games. Uh, you, you see where I'm going with this. Right. Uh, they got blown out by Purdue by 23 on the road, lost by nine at Michigan. Uh, you know, they lost at Penn State, lost at, was, you know, that, that's, uh, I mean, that's kind of a head scratcher there. Uh, ironically, their ro- their best road win was at, against Northwestern, their in-state rival. Yeah, they won at Evanston, uh, but then they they got swept by Penn State. They lost at home to Penn State, which was kind of a head scratcher. May you know, that there, pretty much tells they, you the story of their season right there. I mean, you beat yeah, you beat Northwestern, pretty good team, it's a team that I think should be in the uh, Sweet Sixteen, and then you lose to it to a team like Penn State. <laughs> I mean, what, what's going on here? No wonder everything kind of imploded on them. It really did, and uh, so you look at those the results, and 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 again, I, you know, I'm double checking, but outside of Northwestern, in Evanston, which is in their own state, <laughs> uh, I, I you know they they don't win out outside of Champaign, which blows me away. They did not win a game on the that was the only true road game they won in conference play, uh, so they have not been a yeah. very good road team at all this year uh you know it's kind of a so my point is i think certainly i feel like if ucf can jump on them early and get the crowd on their you know running and they they have a shot to pull away so i would make ucf the favorite on that but certainly uh illinois is a talented team that certainly is motivated and uh look a lot on the line with the winner to face tcu at Madison Square Garden, coached by Jamie Dixon, who mm-hmm. uh, they uh, knocked off Richmond to get to Madison Square Garden. So uh should be fun. Should be, uh, you know, this is what? what do you, where, where do we rank this game? I mean, obviously, it's interesting. Where do you rank this game all time as far as importance here? This is the most highly anticipated UCF basketball game I can remember since the Florida game at the Amway Center. In terms wow. of the pregame hype. By the way, everybody else sure. has UCF a, a three and a half point favorite. West, yeah. Westgate, and it opened it to an, it actually opened it two and a half, went up to three and a half in a, in a bunch of places. 
Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's so true. So people are jumping on UCF. Yeah, well, and I, and I think it's part of because of what I just broke down with Illinois not being a very good road right. team at all. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's yeah, I think that's a fair statement to say. It's the most uh, hyped up game since that Florida game because you know even going back to last week's home game against Colorado, that wasn't really that hype. It was like, oh shucks, that's nice, that's cool. Um, but yeah, no, people are in, uh, intrigued. I mean, people want to get to uh, be cool accomplishment if if they can get to Madison Square Garden and. Now we know this will truly be their last home game too. So yeah. it's not like it's not like, well, if this is your last home no, this is truly your whole last home game. So uh yeah, hopefully uh it'll be a great environment. And I and I know in talking to the players, they they definitely thrive on the environment. And keep in mind, Jeff, last week they with the I think their crowd was like 36, 37, 3800 for Colorado. I was there. It was a very good environment. The people that were in there were loud. And that was in spring break. So I expect students to uh, be add to that. And then, you know, I, I think that the, the environment should be very good. It's just a, my only concern is how much does UCF have left in the tank with a quick turnaround after mm-hmm. digging deep, after coming from an 18-point deficit to win on the road at Illinois State. Then you fly back, get back, you know, Tuesday morning. It's going to be an emotional yeah. home game with all the fans Correct. out there and everything. Yeah. I think the fans got to help them out a little bit. Got to help them get through some of the, you know, maybe some of the the the, the, the exhaustion that maybe they go through. Kind of like the Cincinnati game a little bit, where I thought they were on E in the tank, but the uh, the crowd kind of kept them in it. Yeah. So again, the tip off for this game against Illinois. This is in the NIT quarterfinals, set for 7 p.m. TV on ESPN two. Uh, obviously, it will be on ninety six nine the game on the radio. Winner goes to uh, Madison Square Garden in the NIT semifinals to play the winner of TCU. TCU, they'll take Richmond. on TCU. Or they will take on TCU. Okay, so TCU won their game against Richmond. Yep, so, yeah, 86-60. So they will play the Horn. So whoever wins this game plays the Horn Frogs uh, at the Garden. Now, not to be outdone, starting an hour and a half before the UCF men's game, come on out to UCF for a doubleheader because softball has got themselves a big game at, uh, starting at 5.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Number one, Florida State coming to town. Eric Lopez, you are Mr. Softball. We all know about that. Uh, this is the seventh time that the Knights have faced a top-ranked foe. They've won once. That was against Florida in the NCAA Gainesville Regional back in 08. Um, uh, it was uh, UCF's uh, actually last time that they met somebody Ranked this high, it was uh, number two Florida last year. Um, that was the highest. Well, that's, a, and, that's and, the highest ranked team that's played at the complex prior right. to March. And UCF yeah. lost that game three to one. Uh, UCF is coming off a win off over a ranked team. They won the third of the three against Baylor, uh, four to two on Sunday. First win over a ranked opponent this season. Now you get Florida State coming to town. Um, what is the situation over at softball? Can this be done? Uh, and, and and what's got to happen for it to, for this to happen? Well, first of all, this will be the first number one ranked team to play at the UCF softball complex. Uh, and it will be, it, and I got word, it will be sold out. The game is sold out. It is sold out, uh, standing room only. Uh, there'll be fans in the outfield for those that have come to the Florida game. It'll be similar packed house. And it was, you know, it was funny because someone asked me after the men's basketball game, well, it's like, is that going to hurt the softball attendance? And I said, no. I know because, number one, the softball fan is very loyal, and they will always go to the softball game. And even the fans that go to both softball and basketball, they understand, and I've known them, they'll go to the softball game first, and they know they have time to go to the men's basketball game. It's not like, oh, they're going up head-to-head. There's an hour-and-a-half difference, like you mentioned. So that that's not an excuse. In fact, if anything, I think having the men's basketball home game actually helps them to a degree. I agree I think, with that. Because I think there will be people that will swing by there as they wait for the men's basketball game and see how things are going. I've seen that in the past. So people come uh, straight out of work, come over to yes. campus, come check out softball. Uh-huh. And it's like, and it's almost like, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, sound, you know, make this sound bad, but it's kind of like you're passing the time before the basketball game starts. Hey, let's check out some softball. Let's grab a hot dog, catch the game. Hey, number oh, yeah. one Florida State's in town. And again, the game will be over in time for us to head over for a tip. No question about it. And let's be honest, there are certain games that transcend for the casual fan, that the casual fan that maybe it's not a softball fan is going to go to that game to check it out, check the product out 
Florida game comes to mind. The Florida State game comes to mind. Last year's Alabama game comes to mind. There's certain games on the schedule that will bring out people that normally wouldn't go to a softball game. So uh, you have the number one ranked team in the country for the in first state. time playing at Complex in state, a Seminoles team that is loaded. They are legitimate, number one. In my opinion, I think it's the best Florida State team they've ever had on paper. And, and, and this is a program that's been to the Women's College World Series many times, going back to when you covered UCF softball with Joanne Graff and the Knowles teams from like the early 2000s that were repeat going to the World Series on a, on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team is loaded. And so for this young Knights team, it'll be a challenge. Uh, but the good news, as you mentioned, they played already top 20 teams in the country. They're coming off a win against Baylor, which I thought was critical uh, for uh, to this point for the season because, you know, they took their lumps the first two games against Baylor. Baylor is a talented team complete. And, and for that young team to kind of bounce back and win that game on Sunday, now they know they got over that hurdle and say, you know what, we can beat a top 25 team. We're capable of doing that. And so that will give them some confidence going into this game. But they're going to have to pitch well. Can't give this Florida State offense free passes. They will kill you. They are a dynamic offense. They're a top 10 offense in the country. And they have tremendous pitching. they got two aces, really. They can throw Jessica Burroughs and Megan King, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. So my, the keys to the game is real simple. UCF's got to hit. They're going to get, when they get runners on base in score position, they've got to deliver. They've got to get those hits, take advantage, because Florida State ain't going to give you a lot of those opportunities. And then for the UC, on the other side, I think defensively they got to be sharp. Can't give them any free outs and no free passes. And uh, that's you know keep the ball down and uh, you know you know let you know hopefully you get make off to a good start. Absolutely, you got to have to make them earn it. Uh, that yeah. that's going to be a key. So I, I think those are the keys. Um, you know, and look, I mean this team kind of surprised me because I thought for sure after you know Friday's game against Baylor where they got it was a long game and they, they, in the Saturday game they lost five nothing. I'm like ooh. But they bounced back and really played a really good game, shut down Baylor. Aaliyah White was fantastic uh, getting her win there, and the offense came through, and they're hitting the ball pretty well. So uh, they'll be excited. This is not a game you need a speech. This is not a rah-rah game. I mean, everybody, you know, this is games you get up for. This is the games that they come for. And so uh, I think it'll be an electric atmosphere, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And what I think is one of the greatest UCF athletic days that I can remember with this doubleheader. I mean, when you really, with, with what's at stake on both at the complex and at the court, uh, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal sports day. I don't know why people wouldn't do a doubleheader. I mean, it's a really simple deal. So um, very talented team. UCF, as you mentioned, uh, one win all time against the number one ranked team. I was there, the 2008 regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison beat number one ranked Florida, pitched a shutout, and drove in the game-winning run and snapped the Florida 44-game winning streak, and it got them within one win of the Super Regional. So that was a significant win. Their other games they played at number one was at Florida in 2009. Uh, I think you were – you might have been there with me, I think, uh, in that one. And then uh, – I believe I was. Didn't didn't uh, didn't uh, uh, Florida's head coach get kicked out of that game? Tim Walton, yeah. Tim I think Walton, Walton got that, tossed, I think. Yeah, I think I remember yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you were there for that one. And then obviously last year's NCAA tournament, Florida was the number one ranked team in the country uh, as well. UCF played them twice there. And then obviously there was a game in Los Angeles in 2011 when UCF played at UCLA that was ranked number one. But this is the first time that they would host a number one ranked team. So that's a a nice benchmark uh, moment for the program to host a number one ranked team. But it's a super talented Seminoles team, uh, very well coached with Lonnie Alameda was very close friends with Coach Gillespie. Coach Gillespie actually wanted to hire her when she was the head coach at Texas Tech, but Lonnie uh, just didn't work out. But they've been very close, uh, very talented team. Uh, my, in my opinion, the team to beat for the national championship this year. And it's and it's funny, the two best teams in the country right now reside in the state. It's Florida State and Florida. So yeah. <laughs> it tells you, and we play them both. So uh, hopefully, you know, fans, I, I would tell them to. Uh, Follow uh, UCF, uh, you know, Knights.com, their instructions. You can still get tickets. Uh, you can walk up on game day and kind of wait to see what how many tickets are very limited. Uh, I think there's some fans some that standing will... room, I think, out in that right oh, yeah. field area, right? You know, where they have the bleachers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They got You can get some tickets there, watch games there. People are going to be standing, I'm sure, in the outfield. So it's going to be electric. I would, I would encourage the softball fans that are tuning in to get there a little earlier than normal. Uh, because certainly parking will be interesting. 
Uh, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And, uh, you know, it, it's always great to uh, uh, get that environment. And, you know, it talked something you talked about a couple weeks ago. It's one of the reasons why this softball's complex has to expand because the demand is there. <laughs> the fact that we're like making announcements, hey, we have suspended ticket sales because we're sold, you know, we've sold the capacity. You know, let's expand it. More people want to come. Yeah. So I, I, hope, I hope we get to that point in the future. And, uh, but it's a big week because, you know, you mentioned it. You got Florida State, and then you got conference opening. So it's one last test, the best test, and uh, it, it'll be fun and it'll be interesting to see how this young team handles it. Again, I want to emphasize, a lot of these players have never played a big game like this or played probably in a crowd like they're going to play on Wednesday mm-hmm. night. So it's a learning experience. I know it's so cliche, Jeff, but it's so true. A lot of these players haven't experienced this. I spoke to Aaliyah White, the freshman pitcher. After the win against Baylor, and she acknowledged that going through the experience of her pitching against Georgia in a game where she, she they had the lead in the seventh inning and they couldn't hold it, that that helped her in the Baylor game on Sunday and helped her close that game out because she had just gone through that experience. You can't teach that. You can't go through that in practice and scrimmages. And that's why Coach Gillespie plays the schedule that she does. Exactly. A couple notes on Florida State that I want to mention. And, you, I mean, obviously, number one in the country. They are number uh, – and that's in the USA Today NFCA poll. ESPN USA Softball has them number two. They're 28-1-1. One, one. Uh, here's who they've beaten so far this year. Florida A&M, Northwestern, Nebraska, Stanford, Arizona, UCLA. <laughs> How about that for a trifecta out west? Georgia Tech, UNF, Virginia Tech, Florida Gulf Coast, and Notre Dame. As a team, they are hitting 358. Goodness me. Uh, they have a 16-5 edge in the all-time series. This is the first time, like you said, Eric, that these two teams will meet in Orlando since 2013. Uh, we know about uh, the disappointment that uh, that ensued when they actually knocked us out of the regional a couple years ago. Um, but chance for revenge. I know it's going to be a really... Um, tough ask for this really young UCF team, but that's why they play the games. One game situation. You never know um, what can happen. So um, UCF is trying to end a six game, it looks to end a six game uh, losing streak against Florida State that goes all the way back to uh, 2011. So, uh, yeah. And and uh, this other note, but by the way, kudos to Nate Blythe for sending this along. UCF has won three of the last four meetings between these two teams that were held at the UCF softball complex. Yeah, that's so correct. So we got that they, uh, going for us, which is nice. They, <laughs> yeah, they won the 2011 game. He's obviously uh, referred to there. You mentioned that. That was the last time they win. You mentioned that 2015 regional to tell you how, how big uh, time flies. Florida State still has about three-fourths of that roster, still plays on the Knowles team that was in that 2015 roster, including Jessica Burroughs, who was really the MVP of that regional uh, for as contrast, UCF only has five kids that played in that region. Right. Uh, Brittany Solis, the shortstop, Linnea Goodman, Willow Callanan. Uh, you they know, were youngsters they, in that in that series, too, I remember. Yeah, I mean, Britt was a uh, sophomore, so was Linnea. Willow was a sophomore, um, you know, as well on that team. So, it, you know, those three right there, Courtney Roten was a freshman was a freshman at the time, and so was Megan Greenwell. So those were the five kids that were in that Tallahassee regional. Greenwell was used as a pinch runner. Uh, Roden was more of a pinch hitter and actually started that Sunday regional final game. Uh, you know, Goodman and Solis and Callen really were the only three starters that played all most of that regional. Whereas Florida State, all their most of their regulars are back from the you know are still on that team on this team currently. So it right. tells you how big of a turnover. Uh, that th- th- there has been, but certainly historic. It should be fun. Uh, Florida State UCF has had some memorable games. Uh, in fact, I know for a fact that the first ever UCF live live radio broadcast of softball took place in the regular season. That is, took place uh, in Tallahassee, uh, as I was told. Uh, I believe it was the two thousand and four. I want to say three or four it was uh, whatever year it was. Took place there in Tallahassee. I remember they had some memorable doubleheader in Orlando in 05. And I'll give you this quick note. Mm -hmm. The first ever UCF softball game 
I ever went to was when I was a student was that 2005 game in Tallahassee in Orlando at the old complex, which you could probably explain yep. better to the audience was literally next to Jay Bergman field, right? It was literally next to down Florida, the hill, right? right? Yeah. Yes. So that was the first time ever I ever went to a softball game because there was a lot of hype to that game. FSU was a top five team in the country. And, and uh, you know, at the student radio at Nightcast, we had just interviewed some young senior by the name of Stephanie Best, who I got to meet. <laughs> and so and there was a lot of buzz about this girl that keeps hitting home runs. So I decided, all right, I'm going to go hit. You know, I will go out to this double header and watched. And I met uh, the voice at the time of UCF softball, a guy by the name of Matt Dunaway for the first time. I actually met him for the first time ever at that double header. <laughs> and uh, he's gone on to some good things since then. But uh, that was my first ever softball game. That was the first time I ever went to. So, uh, and uh, you know, I started going to games after that. So that's uh, that's why you know the Florida State game. Obviously, I circle that every year for that reason. So, but it proves my point that I mentioned earlier. A lot of people you never know. Or a lot of people are going to check out this product and check out UCF softball maybe for the first time on Wednesday night. And uh, you hope that they have a good time and that uh, that that they'll uh, enjoy what they see in the product and they come back and. Uh, I know you'll do your part as the PA That's guy. Right. You're going to right? You're ready. I will be there for PA. Uh you will be there doing play-by-play. Yep. And uh, hopefully if all goes well then we'll all kind of trickle on over to the arena for the NIT That's game. The plan. So that should be That's the plan. That should be a lot and, of fun. So don't forget folks. The, oh yeah, go ahead. By the way, one last thing too. I and I was trying to do the re- and I did some research on this. Other than Yukon Women's Basketball which has played at UCF since they joined the American Conference. Uh, to my recollection, now granted, I didn't, you know, full details, but this will be only the the second program. This is only the second number one team that's played on campus against UCF. Uh, football has never hosted a number one ranked team at home. They've been right. on the road. Same with men's basketball. Uh, Bill Beekman, the historian, said that they they hosted a number one ranked team going back to the '80s when they were in Division Two or in Division Three, uh, Division you know lower levels. Uh, I don't know if baseball has hosted one. Maybe I, I got to believe they have, but it's probably been a long time. So my point is very unique situation uh, evening uh, for that uh, standpoint. This will be a fun one. So softball at 530 against number one Florida State at the UCF softball complex. Basketball, the NIT quarterfinals against Illinois, 7 p.m. at CFE Arena. That game also televised on ESPN2. The softball will be televised on uh, UCF Nights TV. So as we finish up, well, we don't even have to talk about what we did what we're going to do tomorrow because we just told you we'll be there for hopefully both of them and uh and it should be fun eric i'll catch you at softball see you there bud have a good time we'll see you have a good time over there all right man and thanks to you for listening remember follow us at ucf underscore banneret on twitter follow me at jeff underscore sharon follow eric at eric lopez elo hit us up on facebook at black and gold banneret as well as black and gold banneret.com and subscribe to this podcast on itunes uh, soundcloud google play and tune in. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. We'll be back after this contingency edition with another regular show later this week, so stay tuned on that. But in the meantime, enjoy the games tomorrow. Softball 5.30, basketball at 7. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. We'll catch you on campus on Wednesday.